Thanks, Cole. Our final day in uh, Colossians for the time being. I hope you've found it encouraging as I have uh, to explore this letter together and what it does for us in thinking about belonging to Jesus and to one another as a church here at All Saints. Why don't we pray again? I'm going to pray uh, from chapter 1. Let's pray. We ask you, our God and Father, to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your Spirit gives, that we might live lives that are worthy of the Lord and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, so that we might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to you, our Father, who has qualified us to share in your inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. You have rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and you have brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so please do this work among us now, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, we've been hosting uh, some belong dinners uh, as we come to the end of this series to keep the conversation going and to keep building those relationships that we have with one another. We've had four belong dinners so far and little plug, there's two more coming on the 14th and 16th of July. Um, Yes, the 14th and 16th of July. So, Jump on and uh, register for one of those if you haven't come. We had one last night at our place and it was lovely, uh, as all of them have so far been. Uh, And I anticipate the final two to be lovely as well. Um, Our Belong dinners have been uh, lovely in us sharing together what it means to partner in the gospel and to keep building each other up in love. And uh, as Michelle said earlier, I love the way that this letter finishes showing us that Paul wasn't a one-man band, uh, that he functioned as a gospel worker, an apostle of our Lord Jesus to the Gentiles, but he did so with the help, with the partnership, relying on the support and encouragement and friendship of so many other people. And what I love is that the things that Paul has talked about all through this letter of what it means for us to be filled and free because of the Lord Jesus, because of the forgiveness of our sins and being brought into his kingdom and his family, the way that that overflows in every relationship, the way that we are meant to live out reconciliation, the way that we're meant to to love one another deeply as even we have been loved by our Heavenly Father, all of that is meant to play out and it's no hypothetical kind of thing. It's no... um, Uh, aspirational goal for Paul, this is bread and butter daily life. And some of that's kind of hidden in that final greeting as Paul explains the people that he is with in Rome, his little prayer group that's been praying for the Colossians, his little group of people that have been working with him and even um, uh, imprisoned with him in a house in Rome. You, You remember back in the book of Acts that Barnabas and Paul had a falling out 
along with Mark, and they all end up going in their different directions. Here we have them reconciled and working together once again for the sake of the gospel, putting aside their differences, dealing with their disagreements, bearing with one another and forgiving if they had a grievance. They did, they had a big one, they had a dust up. And they went their separate ways, but they have forgiven one another their grievances for the sake of the gospel, because Jesus is worth it and Jesus is bigger. Demas, who is with Paul at the moment in Rome, he is one who will abandon Paul later on. We read in Paul's final letter that Demas was in love with the world too much. And so he stands in this list of partners in the gospel as a great warning to us to keep encouraging us to love the Lord Jesus more than we love this world. Onesimus, the runaway slave, as we heard last week, he's returning, having been discipled by Paul, and he is urging them to receive him as a brother. And don't you love the posture of our dear friend Epaphras, who will bring this letter to the Colossian church, who is desperate to get back and see these Christians standing firm in the gospel. Have a look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I wonder if it was the prayers of Epaphras and his wrestling in prayer and his constant desire that the Colossian church would stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured in the face of threats and false teachers. I wonder if it was Epaphras' prayers that actually motivated and moved Paul to write this letter. As they wrestled together for the sake of a church that Paul had never met. And Epaphras, our dear friend, is the encouragement for us this morning as we finish this letter about the kind of posture we ought to have. So much of this letter has turned us inward, in a sense, as we think about belonging and what Jesus has done for us and in us as individuals and as a church. And that's a very good thing and that's an important aspect of our life together But here as we get to the end, we realise that the gospel of the Lord Jesus doesn't turn us in permanently. The gospel of the Lord Jesus turns us in to see what Jesus is doing in and through us in order that we might be turned out, away from ourselves, to our world. And Epaphras wrestling in prayer and Paul, desperate for this church that he's never met to stand firm and be fully assured in the Lord Jesus is a great example to us the kind of posture that we ought to have as we think about those beyond these walls, even those in the next generation whom we haven't yet met, that we might pray for them, that they would rest assured of God's love and be fully mature in Him. So having been built up by the gospel of the Lord Jesus, having seen how big Jesus is, that if you have Jesus, you have 
everything and that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, Paul then turns us outward. And he turns us outward in our prayers and in our lives for the sake of the gospel among those to whom we find uh, among those in whom among whom we find ourselves uh, dick lucas in his colossians commentary um, has summarized this chapter or these four verses at the start of this chapter in the most helpful way i think that you'll see on the screen The gospel turns us out that we might speak to God about people and speak to people about God. It's not rocket science. But that's the kind of posture encouraged by Epaphras and established by Paul, that we would speak to God about people wrestling in prayer, being devoted in prayer, and that we would speak to people about God, making the most of every opportunity with conversations and lives that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. So let's think then for some minutes about speaking to God about people at verse 2. Pick it up with me. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. It's praying to God about people and about the proclamation of the gospel. It's a challenging word, I think, to hear that our attitude towards prayer should be one of devotion. That it's such a priority, it's such an essential, it's so important and so critical to the Christian life that it is a posture of devotion, something that you persist and persevere in. The persistence that we see is not just in uh, uh, volume, but over time. Uh, Do you remember Jesus told that story of the persistent widow who kept going to the judge that she wouldn't give him rest until he gave her justice. And Jesus says, if that's how God, uh, if that's how a, uh, a non-Christian judge responds to persistent requests, how much more your loving Heavenly Father will he hear your persistent requests as you come to him in prayer? Being devoted to prayer, knowing that our Heavenly Father who delights in us the sovereign God whose face is turned towards us in love, the one who not only has the power but the desire to fulfil his will in this world and in our lives, how much more does he delight to hear the prayers of his people? But how often do we come to him reluctantly or begrudgingly? How much do we come to him with a sense of dry habit and joyless duty, think that we somehow have to twist God's arm to answer our prayers. It's so opposite, isn't it? 
and our loving and gracious Heavenly Father who's already done everything for us in the Lord Jesus. All that we've heard in this letter so far could not possibly lead us to get to the point of prayer and devoting ourselves to calling on Him to fulfil His will in our lives and in this world. Well, it can't be because of guilt, can it? And it can't be just a sense of duty, but a heartfelt devotion knowing that God not only can do, but wants to fulfil His will in this world. That he delights to hear our prayers and so he delights to answer them as he hears our hearts lining up more and more with his heart. If, if our hearts and our wills are lining up more and more with his heart and his will, if our lives are being slowly and surely transformed into the likeness of his son, how much more will he delight to hear our prayers? Because we're not trying to convince him to do something that he's reluctant to do. We're not trying to twist his arm or or make a case or convince him through our own abilities that this is something worthwhile. Because we would be praying for his glory. We would be praying for his forgiveness. We would be praying for his wisdom and insight. We would be praying for his strength for obedience, would be praying for the spread of the gospel because we're more and more like Jesus. We're being filled more and more with the knowledge of his will. And so if we're praying those sorts of prayers, the Bible's already told us a million times that God will answer those prayers to glorify his name, to forgive our sins, to strengthen us for obedience, to give us wisdom, to spread the gospel so we can confidently and devotedly Come to him in prayer. And what else are we to do? We're to pray being watchful and being thankful. Being watchful is about being awake. It's the opposite of being sleepy. You know when you're particularly sleepy and someone tries to ask you something or make you think about something or do something and you just kind of, you don't know what you where you are or what you're meant to be doing, let alone to do it competently or sensibly or in a way that makes any sense. My wife's frequently telling me of things that I say in my sleep that make no sense whatsoever. Where were you going? And why were you going there out the window? (laughs) Right? Sleepiness isn't conducive to doing sensible wise or helpful things and the same is true in your Christian life that if you're sleepy and not paying attention then you won't be living wisely you won't be seeking to grow in godliness you won't be acting in a way that is loving towards other people and so be awake and be watchful Watchful of your own life, that it's lining up with God's will. Watching of your own godliness, that you're seeking to grow more like Jesus as you live out the Christian life. But watchful as well of how God's kingdom is coming in this world. Watchful waiting for Jesus to return. 
Not in a way that sits back and kicks your feet up and just stares at the sky waiting for Jesus to, to pierce the heavens. But watching as you, as you expect prayerfully and confidently that God is at work and being excited for seeing that work, at, his word at work in the world. Do you watch expectantly? Thinking that God's kingdom is coming, that we're in the midst of it. That there isn't a moment since Jesus returned to the right hand of his father that his kingdom hasn't continued to expand in this world. And to be watchful as Christians means to be expected. To be excited. To see what God might do in and through us and by his word and spirit for the sake of his son and for the salvation of many, many people. Being watchful and awake, alert to dangers, to our Christian health, but also being alert to opportunities to see Jesus' kingdom expand as more and more people come to faith and grow in their faith. And all of it, because it's expectant, because it's excited, because it's watchful, it's going to be done with thankfulness. I think off the top of my head, this is the fifth or sixth time Paul has called us to be thankful in this letter. It's a key fruit of the gospel, which it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If we've received everything by grace, and I mean everything by grace, then what can we do but be thankful? So we see that this is not some guilt-driven discipline. This is thankful devotion. Speaking to God. The posture of Christians who are praying praying to God for people and for the proclamation of the gospel. This is what Paul says in verse 3. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Part of praying for people to come to know and love the Lord Jesus and for his kingdom to advance in the world, part of praying for people is praying for the proclamation of the gospel because that's what people need. People need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear and respond to the good news. The message of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, the hope of the world. Now, no doubt, as Paul tells his friends to write down and pray for us too, that God may open a door. The guard who was chained to him at that moment kind of raised his eyebrows as his heart rate goes up. Pray that God may open a door, says the guard. But what does Paul pray? To open a door for the gospel. The gospel that is living and active, that is bearing fruit all over the world. That gospel that goes out and accomplishes God's sovereign purposes of salvation for his glory. Pray that doors might be opened for the gospel in order that gospel might bear fruit in the lives of people. 
I've never been in prison as an inmate. Uh, I've visited a number of people in prison and I've never wanted to stay there. There's nothing about prison that has made me think, yeah, that would be good. I remember sitting across from a friend of mine in his white plastic bag in maximum security prison and palpably feeling the fear that he was experiencing. What kinds of things would you pray in that kind of circumstance? Lord, protect me. Lord, relieve me from this. Lord, open a door for my vindication. Lord, bring me some comfort. Oh, all perfectly fine things to pray. What does Paul pray in the midst of his imprisonment? Lord, open the door for the gospel. More important than his comfort or his freedom or his vindication is that the gospel of salvation continues to go out to bring fullness and freedom to people as they hear and respond to Jesus as Lord and as Saviour. So here's the challenge. Will you devote yourselves to prayer? Being watchful and thankful and will you pray? Will you pray with persistence and expectation and thankfulness for the proclamation of the gospel in all the world? No matter how tough you feel your circumstances are, no matter how long the list that you think you have to, of things that you need to ask God for, will you make it a priority to pray for the proclamation of the gospel, not just in Petersham, but in all the world, knowing that that is the hope of the nations? Speak to God about people Secondly, our final challenge is to speak to people about God. Have a look at verse 5. Paul says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think if you're awake, if you're watchful, if you're thankful, if you're prayerful, then there will be wisdom coming your way. Wisdom coming your way so that you will know how to act towards people who are not yet part of the kingdom of light, who have not yet responded to the gospel of Jesus as Lord, who who are yet to receive the forgiveness of their sins. And so here's the expectation that you are meeting those people that they know you and you know them and that there are opportunities within those relationships for you to share the gospel. That's challenging in and of itself, isn't it? Being wise in the way that you act towards people who are not yet Christians is an important thing to pray for. 
Wisdom is much more an art than a science, isn't it? Wisdom is kind of a nuanced um, knowledge. It's the skill of knowing that sometimes you should speak and sometimes you should be silent. And wisdom is being able to work out which situation you find yourself in. I love that in Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26 verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to their folly or you yourself will be just like them. Okay, so you're off the hook. You're in a conversation with a fool. Okay, I don't need to speak here. If I engage with them, I'm just kind of entering into their folly. I'm off the hook. I don't have to speak. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to their folly or they will think they're wise in their own eyes. Two situations and it's wise. One is do not answer them otherwise you'll enter into their foolishness. Situation number two, do answer them otherwise they'll think they're wise when they're really not. Wisdom is knowing which situation you are in. Which is why it requires prayer. Which is why it requires being awake and watchful. So that you'll know how to act towards people in order that your life might not be the stumbling block that keeps them from coming to know and love the Lord Jesus. In order that you might be the catalyst for them coming to know Jesus rather than a stumbling block. And as you do that, your conversation should be always full of grace. Which makes perfect sense if that's what we've been filled by. Jesus said that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. So if we're people whose lives have been filled by grace... And grace is what will come out of our lips. The loving kindness of Jesus that permeates every conversation. Always full of grace and seasoned with salt. You know, when you eat something that's been really well seasoned with salt, what does that do for you? It makes you want more. Have you ever eaten one hot chip? Of course you haven't. Right? Unless you're subhuman, you've never just eaten one hot chip. You can never eat enough of them. Because of the salt. Right? It makes you want more. Truth that is gracious, full of kindness and salty should leave people wanting more. That our conversations should not be cynical or snide, they shouldn't be grumbly or dry, they shouldn't be vacuous or malicious, they shouldn't be fearful or hateful or careless. But as we speak truth in love, full of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, with people who know that we love them and that Jesus loves them, gracious and salty speaking to people will leave them saying, I want more of that. 
and the that that they want more of will be Jesus, who was full of grace and truth, who is the fullness of God in the flesh, who is the one who fills all things and brings us to fullness to enjoy him forever. And if we have received his grace, and if we know his love, and if we belong to his family forever, then we will be the kind of church full of people who are devoted to prayer, who speak to God regularly about people and about proclamation, and who are committed to speaking to people about God with grace and saltiness that many, many people around us will say of our conversations, I want more of that. And about our Saviour and Lord, I need more of Him. I'm going to pray again and ask that God would do that for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have everything, that he is the fullness of God in the flesh, and that by his death on the cross, his resurrection to new life, that he gives us fullness of life and hope in his name. We pray that in response to the grace that we have received, we would be the kind of people who are devoted to prayer, who are awake and watchful, who are expectant and thankful. That we pray for people and the proclamation of the gospel and that as we interact with those around us who don't yet know you, that we cannot help but overflow with the grace of our Lord Jesus, speaking of his love, speaking of everything with his kind of kindness and compassion and gentleness and patience that the salt of the gospel, as people taste it, they'll say they want more. To know us better and more importantly, to know Jesus as Lord and as Saviour. Our Father, we thank you so much for our time in this letter. We commit our partnership to you. In Jesus' name.